This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Let's look back into the Gospel of Mark. We have this morning and uh, two more weeks, and we will be done with this series that we've been in for over a year, the series that we've entitled Getting In on the Good News. Today we'll be in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Uh, last week we w- looked at the trial of Jesus before the religious leaders. This week we'll be looking at the trial of Jesus before Pilate, the political leader, uh, the Roman uh authoritative person in that area in that time. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 15 verses 1 through 20 and the title of the message this morning is The Great Exchange. And um, as Americans, and I know most of us, most of you that I'm speaking to are Americans or citizens of the United States. Uh, Even some of you were born other places and have citizenship other places but also are American citizens. And Probably all of you, whether you're an actual citizen or not, are probably living here in the United States. I know there's a few folks that watch our videos that are watching elsewhere in the world. But uh, one of the great things about being an American is that we are a land that's based on the idea and the ideal of individual rights and freedoms. Um, it's built into the, our, our founding documents, this idea of inalienable, inalienable I can't even say it right, rights. Um, and, it, and it's a wonderful thing to know that ideal and that, I, that, that idea and that ideal that in a, when we're operating at our best, people have come from all over the world to this place where they had a sense of fundamental freedom to be the person they were, to worship the way they want to worship together the way they want to gather, um, and, and a, some sense of, of personal rights that would... Uh, stand up against uh, various kinds of, of oppression and injustice. Now, but we know that's an ideal that has never been fully realized. In fact, it wasn't even realized when the founders first wrote it on the paper because when we were first founded, those rights didn't extend to the African-American slaves that were here in the millions, and they didn't extend to women at that time. They, all men and women were not created, even though it says they're created equal, they weren't treated equal even in that time. And we have struggled since that time to sort of figure this out and walk this out. And so the, even though we haven't done it perfectly and we're in the middle of trying to figure that out in a new way right now, uh, the ideal is there. Um, and, and so it's really one of our greatest strengths. But I would suggest to us this morning, and we're seeing this in our culture today, that, that this idea of my personal rights and demanding my rights and freedoms is also one of our greatest weaknesses. At its best, it, it empowers us to live free lives to, uh, together in, 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 a, in community. But, at its, but as, at its worst, it causes us to cave in on ourselves and sort of demand our rights and our place and our freedom, oftentimes at the expense or, 
or the or yeah, at the expense of others or not really caring about the other person as long as my rights aren't being infringed upon. Um, and we're seeing that in various ways that I won't delineate uh, right now. I think you can think about the ways that I'm that are in my mind right now, where people are demanding their rights in one way or another seeming to disregard the effect that that, that maybe they legally have that right, but just seeming to disregard the effect that might have on their neighbors and the rest of the, the community. And I think this passage of Jesus' trial before Pilate uh, will speak to this uh, and to you and to me in a powerful way. And I, I want to just uh, encourage us to really open our hearts up and to sort of ask ourselves, how are we navigating this time uh, in light of everything that's going on, and how are we navigating that in our understanding of our rights and freedoms and uh, our connection to our neighbors? And I don't mean just our neighbors on the street. I mean everybody that we are in contact with. So let me read the passage this morning from Mark chapter 15, and we'll walk through it together. This is Jesus now has been before Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, and they they have... uh, basically got Jesus to claim that he is indeed uh, the son of God, he is the king, and that and uh, he's claiming an authority that's just blowing their minds, and that's what they were looking for, a real charge to bring before the Roman officials. And so now they bind him, after beating him and spitting on him and mocking him, they bind him, and they bring him very early in the morning, uh, on the day that he was crucified, they bring him very early in the morning into the court of Pilate says this, starting at verse 1 of chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans, so they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now Pilate begins to interview him. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. That is the charge that they've brought against Jesus, that he's claiming to be a king. And there can be no other king except for the Roman emperor and any sort of puppet king that they, they install uh, underneath. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. And Jesus sort of slyly says, you have said so. He doesn't deny it. He just says, you have said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no, repo- no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. And the festival is the um, is the Passover celebration, the festival of unleavened bread. And it was a custom to release a prisoner during this time every year. A man called Barabbas was in prison uh, with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in an uprising, an uprising against the Romans. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So Pilate, sort of in a mocking way, says, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? He keeps driving this home. He, he, calls, king, he calls Jesus the king of the Jews four times just in this passage, or, that, or Mark uses that phrase four times just in this passage. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? 
What crime has he committed, asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to them to be crucified. We have to realize that at this time, during this festival, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews from all over the nation of Israel would jam themselves into the city of Jerusalem for this festival. And so one of Pilate's main jobs during this time was to make sure that law and order were kept and that there was no rioting. And so he could feel the intensity rising up with them yelling, crucify him. So it says that's wanting to satisfy the crowd, to keep things under control. Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, you know, purple being the color of royalty. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, in a mocking manner. Again and again they struck him on the head with the staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid mock homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Just a heavy passage, and I know many of you have read that passage countless times. We've heard it read countless times every year during Easter. Uh, We've heard many sermons on it, but every time we read it, every time we consider what Jesus went through, um, man, it just, it's heavy and it, and it, it should move us and it should touch us deeply. The central thought, if you want to follow along in the notes, uh, either through the YouVersion notes or the, the uh, notes that were mailed, emailed to you, uh, here it is, the central thought. We get in on the good news when we affirm that Jesus, in his divinity and perfection, gave up his rights in exchange for our guilt and shame so that we would have the right to be restored as the sons and daughters of God. We get in on the good news when we affirm that Jesus, in his divinity and perfection, gave up his rights in exchange for our guilt and shame so that we would have the right to be restored as the sons and the daughters of God. I want to go through this passage uh, looking at questions and answers because that's the way the passage is. Pilate asks several questions. He questions Jesus and he questions the crowds and I think, or the crowd, and I think that'll help us think through this. The first question in verse 1 and 2 that he asked as Jesus is put before him is very directly, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's the charge that will get Jesus in trouble. That's the charge that will sort of bind Pilate's hands to do nothing other than to turn him over to be crucified. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And, and we need to get into Pilate's head looking at Jesus just bound up there, already beat up. Uh, the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it says there was nothing about Jesus that would have drawn us to him. He wasn't a big, strong, handsome guy. He was just an average person in, in the way that he looked. And so he's, you could hear, hear even the mock, in probably in Pilate's voice, are, are you the king of the Jews? And, uh, and Jesus says, you say that I am. He doesn't deny it. And... Um, and and in that moment, we need to recognize that that Jesus, the answer to the question is, yes, Jesus 
is the king of the Jews, and he's also the king of everyone and everything else. In this moment where Pilate is seen as the ultimate authority in the area, Jesus looks so weak, and yet he is in complete control of himself. He refuses to answer the charges that are brought up against him. He just stands there silently. He's not threatened by Pilate, who is the, the, the representative of the, of the king in that area. And when he's asked, are you the king of the Jews? He just says, You're, you say that I am. And we need to recognize that he is standing there in, his, in this humble state. But he, in that moment, is literally the king of the Jews and the king of everyone that has ever lived and everyone that lived then and everyone that lives today. He's the king of everyone and the king of everything. Jesus Christ, God in Christ, is the ultimate authority in the universe. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, speaking, uh, the writer telling us about Jesus, he's saying that this letter, it's, it's Jesus really speaking himself. This letter, the the, the book of Revelation is from Jesus Christ, and it describes him this way, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, speaking of his resurrection, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We need to latch on to that right now in this time of so much political debate, so much confusion, so much conflict. Jesus Christ was then as he stood before Pilate, he was, uh, and then affirmed in his resurrection, and he stands now as the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. He's King of the Jews, and he's King of you, and he's King of me, and he's in King of the entire universe. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, speaking of Jesus, the Son is the image of the, Im- the visible God, invisible God. Some, one translation says he's the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We need to understand that standing there in that humble state before Pilate, was very literally the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that could have commanded angels, could have done anything he wanted, and he stood there silently when he was accused of all manner of things, and in a very humble way, when he was asked if he was king, he said, well, you say that I am. That's who we're talking about. The next question is, uh, he, since he wouldn't respond since he wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't respond to any of the other accusations, said he was silent and that Pilate was amazed. He was just, because Pilate's thinking, doesn't Jesus know, doesn't this man know that I have the authority of life or death over him? And he was amazed at Jesus' ability to be quiet and that he wasn't, he wasn't terrified in that moment. He says, aren't you going to answer? And we see in this moment, when Jesus had every right to, de- to declare his royalty and to demand uh, his uh, rights and to and say that all this wasn't fair. It says, in his innocence and his authority, Jesus does not attempt to defend himself and he doesn't demand his rights. In this moment where Jesus is the rightful king and he's being treated completely unrighteously, unjustly, he is completely innocent and he has all authority. He does not attempt to defend himself and he does not demand his rights. How does that speak to you and to me today in the situation?
that we find ourselves in. The next question Pilate asks is, uh, now he, he addresses the crowd because he's not getting anywhere with Jesus and he knows that Jesus is unjustly accused. He, know, he doesn't believe Jesus is a king. He knows that Jesus, or he, he believes in that moment, that it's ridiculous to think that Jesus is any threat to the Roman Empire. And so he says, what am I going to do with this man? And, and the crowd says, we want you to release um, we want you to release uh, somebody like you do every year. And so he says, well, then do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Can I just let him go? Can we just get on with this? And, and, and I don't really want to have anything to do with this. But the, but the crowd demands the release, of, the release of their violent rebel hero, even though he is rightly charged with murder. Barabbas is a Jew who took part in some kind of violent revolt trying to kick the Romans out of, out of Jerusalem and out of Israel, and in the process, murdered somebody, killed somebody, uh, and, um, and he is in jail, probably facing the death, certainly facing the death sentence, rightly, justly. And yet, the people see him as a hero because he's somebody that was trying to take the Romans on. And, um, and they demand... And even though Jesus is innocent, even though Jesus has done nothing wrong, uh, they are demanding that, that their violent rebel, rebel hero be released instead of Jesus. They want the one who is seeming to show strength and seeming to fight for them in the way they think needs to be done, they want him released instead of Jesus. And then, so then Pilate says, after he says, well, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they so, say, no, we want Barabbas. He says, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? What crime has he committed? And we know the answer to that question. Jesus committed no crime. He was the most perfect, faithful, loving, integral person that has ever walked on the planet. And Pilate has some sense of this. He doesn't know and believe who Jesus is, but he, he recognizes that this is a completely mock trial. And so he says, what, is, what do you want me to do with this man you call the king of the Jews? What crime has he committed? But the crowd will not be swayed. And they demand the death of Jesus because they see him as a false Messiah who failed to stand up for their rights. Just a day or two earlier, this is the same crowd or many of the same people as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, because they believed, they thought Jesus was going to be like Barabbas. They thought Jesus was going to come, but they were more excited than they were with Barabbas because they'd seen Jesus do miracles. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him verbally challenge the religious leaders of the day. And so they were pinning their hopes on Jesus. This is it. He is the Messiah. Our moment of freedom from the Romans is right around the corner. And yet, instead of taking on the Romans, he goes into their own temple and desecrates it by flipping over the tables and using a whip to drive everybody out and basically showing an authority over the temple and a disregard for their way they're using it and, um, and just completely uh, turning their expectation on its head. 
And so because of that, he has lost favor, and the religious leaders are able to whip the crowd into a frenzy. They demand that he's crucified because now they see him as a false messiah. Some, their, their hopes are dashed because he failed to stand up for their rights. As they, they, saw them, they see themselves, saw themselves, excuse me, as the people of God, as they were the Jewish nation, and they saw themselves as people that were unjustly under the thumb of the Romans, which they were, and they were counting on Jesus to come and, and reestablish their rights as individuals and their right and their position as a nation, and he didn't do that in the way they expected. He didn't come and, and, and work for their rights, and so they demanded his crucifixion, and they wanted their violent rebel hero released. Pastor and author Brian Zahn says this in relation to this um, contrast between the way of Jesus and the way of Barabbas and the way of all other would-be messiahs. Speaking of the cross, which we'll get to next week, in the cross of Christ, the world is refounded from an access of power enforced by violence to an axis of love expressed in forgiveness. Think about that. It's so powerful. There's so many uh, situations today where even people in the church, and maybe especially people in the church, are trying to grab the levers of power. The, they're trying to take control of pol- uh, the politics of a nation and trying to f- uh, grind those to, to force their will uh, and what they think to be the will of God and to demand their rights and our rights um, in a free country that is, where we're uh, able to worship the way we want, we, we, we feel like we have the right to demand those things. And some people have even been uh, not afraid to use violence. And Brian Zahn reminds us that as we look at the exchange between Jesus and Barabbas and the fact that Jesus was the righteous one, Jesus was, uh, was the perfect one, and he gave himself in exchange for Barabbas, who was receiving his just penalty. We see that in that and in his cross, the world is refounded from an access of power enforced by violence, and that could be physical violence, verbal violence, relational violence, to an access of love expressed in forgiveness. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Other translations say the just for the unjust. That is the great exchange. The one who was truly righteous, the only one that has ever been truly righteous and just, was treated unrighteously and unjustly and was, and was exchanged, voluntarily exchanged himself with Barabbas, who represents all of us. We are all Barabbas. We, we are under just judgment for our crimes for our sin and our rebellion and trying to live our lives our own way and at times trying to do what we think is the right thing in the work of God in our own human means. Those are the questions that were asked and the answers that were given and the effects of those as we walk through this. So what are, let, let's talk just, let's close by talking about rights and responsibilities. Jesus didn't come just to restore 
our rights. In fact, I would say it this way. Jesus isn't as concerned about your individual rights as much as he's concerned about us about bringing you and me back into right relationship with our God and our Father. Our greatest, Jesus came so that our greatest right would be restored, and that is to be a child of God. Barabbas, the name. Do you know what the name Barabbas means? It's Bar Abbas. Bar means son, and Abba is is the Aramaic word for father or daddy. So it's son of Abba. Or a way we might say it today is Barabbas was named daddy's boy or daddy's girl, if we want to, we want to include everybody here. We are all Barabbas. We are all the children of our father, of our God. And yet we have all, like Barabbas, gone our own way. We've sought our own salvation. And we have, uh, even if we've never physically murdered anyone, we know from Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I um, tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister is subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, uh, which means uh, it's like a term of anger, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in in danger of the fire of hell. We are all Barabbas. We have all gone our own way. We've all sought our own rights at the expense of someone else. We've all sought to do maybe the right thing in the wrong manner. We all deserve the the judgment of Barabbas. And yet Jesus came to make that great exchange and to offer himself as the righteous one and to take on our guilt and shame so that we could, our greatest need and our greatest right could be restored, that we really could once again be sons of our and daughters of our father. We could be daddy's little boy and daddy's little girl. Look at what the apostle John says in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Speaking of Jesus, it says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Brothers and sisters, our greatest right and our greatest need is to be reconciled to the God who created us. And he's more concerned about reestablishing that right and that relationship than anything else. Have you opened up your heart to faith in God through Jesus Christ, who all who receive him, he gave the right to become to children of God, to be reestablished as Abba's child. You can do that right now. You can say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. I repent of my own ways, trying to be my own salvation, just doing things the way I want. And I want to receive you as my rightful king. And I want to learn to follow you as a true son or daughter of God. Our greatest need is to be made, to be restored to our relationship with God. Excuse me. And to have our greatest right, our right to become a child, a child of God again, restored. And our greatest responsibility uh, is this, to love our neighbors, especially our neighbors in need. 
There's so many people today of all persuasion demanding their rights. And don't get me wrong, there's some deep injustices going on in the world today, and there's some rights uh, that need to be addressed. But there's also a lot of self-centered demand of rights uh, right now. And I would say this again, God is more concerned about our caring for the rights and the needs of our neighbors than he is about establishing uh, some sense of our own that we get all the rights we think we deserve. Our greatest responsibility is to love our neighbors and especially our neighbors in need. Jesus says this pretty well directly in Luke chapter 4, and we've read this many times when he basically states why he's come. Luke 4.18 takes the scroll of Isaiah and opens it up and says the spirit of the reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to claim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus came to do. And when we learn to follow him, when we have that great exchange where we, 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 we receive his righteousness and give him our sin and our guilt, we are restored as children of God so we can begin to behave like that and join him in his mission to care for the least and the last. To care for our neighbors, all of our, everyone around us. And we're reminded of what... It, what neighborliness looks like in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, and he says, well, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, because that's how we show our love for God, to our love for neighbor. And the man, the religious leader that asked the question, trying to justify himself, says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and how all the religious leaders walked by this man that was beaten and broken and the hated Samaritan was the one person that was a neighbor to the person in need and takes care of him and binds his wounds and takes him to the inn and pays for everything and makes sure that he's taken care of. And so Jesus doesn't so much define who our neighbor is, he more defines what neighborly looks, neighborly less neighborliness looks like to everyone that we would find in our sphere of influence and especially those in need. We want to demand our rights. We want to demand our freedoms as Americans. And, and God, thank God for the freedoms and the rights that we have. But if our, if our priority as a follower of Christ is not more on the needs and the rights of those around us, if we're more focused on our own, then we are not following in the way of Jesus we have not really entered in and seen the significance of that great exchange where the one that had the rightful authority and was the only righteous one gave himself up for the one who was justly accused and awaiting his own execution. I want to close with the familiar chapter in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where it starts earlier, where the Apostle Paul says, if you, if you have any comfort from my love, if you have any any uh, or any comfort from God's love. Any, if you're experiencing all the, if you're experiencing all the good things of being a part of the family of God, then make my joy complete by having the same mind of Jesus. He says, in your relationships one another with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he was God. He had all the rights of God. <laughs> did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. That is the great exchange. That is how God shows his love for us. And that is the kind of life he's called us to live as we learn to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in all whatever's going on in our lives today and in all that we see going around, can we ask ourselves the question of whose rights are we looking out for today? Where is our priority? It's our priority on ourselves and what we want and what we feel like we deserve or have we opened our heart up to the grace and the goodness of God and allowed him to transform us? Have we been restored as the children of God so that we can stop worrying about those things and know that God's got us, he's got our back, he's got everything about us, so we are set free to give ourselves away and to be more concerned about the rights of our neighbors and those in need than ourselves. Let's let the Holy Spirit do some work in us in that area as we go throughout this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, your love for us is, is just more, deep, it's greater, deeper, wider, richer than we can possibly wrap our little brains around and, and our hearts around. When we contemplate what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, uh, what you endured on our behalf, that you offered yourself completely and fully uh, and voluntarily, um, and you, that we might enter into your life. Lord, it, we, we can't comprehend that. And yet at the same time, Lord, for those of us, especially those of us maybe that have been walking with you for a long time, we grow accustomed to it, Lord. And um, sometimes we, like the nation of Israel, instead of... Um, just being filled with gratitude and a, and a desire to share that same kind of love with those around us, we think we're the in crowd and we start to think we deserve your love. And Lord, your harshest judgment was on the nation of Israel when they stopped being a light to the nations, when they started to look to themselves and demand their own rights. Lord, would you forgive us for selfishness? Would you forgive us for self-centeredness? While we are thankful to live where we live and to have the freedoms and the rights that we do, would you help us learn to be more concerned about the rights and the needs and the well-being of our neighbors? Because we know, Lord, that as we do that, we will find true joy, we will find true satisfaction, and we can know that you will take that our lives are completely caught up in yours and that uh, we are your children. So guide us, Lord, through the rest of this week. Help us just navigate these times that we're living in Help us be, uh, continue to be filled with faith and hope and love through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit.